in Luke still, uh, and very grateful that we get to be in Luke for some time yet. I'm thankful that along with all of the other privileges I have as a pastor, that there's an expectation uh, that, that on Sunday morning when the church gathers, what the church needs is to have the Word of God opened up uh, and proclaimed. And so I'm looking forward to doing that uh, together with you this morning. Uh, just to catch you up or remind you, uh, we're in the Gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. What's been happening? Oh, there's stuff. Um, what's been happening uh, is that we've seen the popularity of Jesus rise during His public ministry, and we've also seen opposition against Jesus arise. Jesus has been surrounded lately with crowds of people, curious crowds, some of whom are His devoted disciples, and some of those devoted disciples He has called and appointed to be His apostles. And last week we began what is Luke's account of a sermon that runs from Luke chapter 6 verse 20 through the end of the chapter. So last week we did the first little bit of that sermon, and this week we're going to do the second little bit of that sermon. And last week in the first bit, there were some unsettling things because Jesus talks about who's blessed, and then he talks about who he pities. He had blessings and woes. And the thing that was unsettling is the thing that we usually count as blessings ended up on the woe side, and the things we usually count as woes ended up on the blessing side. So Jesus last week making some declarations that maybe made us a little uncomfortable. Well, if you're hoping that in the message this week you become once again comforted, I think that might come at the end, but it's not going to come at the beginning because Jesus is about to give us commands that are really, really hard to follow. There are some commands that people might give that would be easier to follow. For example, today, a beautiful day, if somebody told you, you need to go spend some time outside this afternoon. Last week that would have been hard. Today you'd say, yes, I would love to go spend some time outside. If somebody tells me, hey, Jeremy, this afternoon what you ought to do is take a nap. My wife tells me that sometimes, and I'm grateful to hear that command. Yes, I would love to take a nap right now. Some of you kids in here, like you're, you're little, and your mom and dad still think it would be good for you to take a nap, and you don't think so anymore, you're crazy. Listen to your mom and dad. Naps are good, right? Or if somebody gives you a command like, hey, there's some ice cream that really needs to be eaten, right? Then I will sign up for that. I will obey that command and eat that ice cream. But what we're going to hear from Jesus here this morning is commands that seem to go against what we actually want to do, what seems natural to us. And there's a long list of them. So here's some questions to ask. What are disciples of Jesus called to do? Who are we called to love? What's that love supposed to look like? How is this going to be different from the way the rest of the world lives and loves? Why do we love this way? What happens if we do? Those, I think, are going to be answered in the passage we look at today. So if you're able, would you stand? We'll read God's Word uh, right after I pray. Father, we, we give ourselves to you now. Uh, as Pastor Nick said, not, not dropping everything we carried in here, but, but really, in, in a sense, taking it with us, laying it at your feet, and knowing that we need to hear what you have to say, even if it's uncomfortable. So help us. Give us ears to hear what you have to say in your word, commands that we read here today in Luke. Help us, empower us by your spirit to hear, to understand, to believe, and then to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear God's word. Luke chapter 6. 
reading verses 27 through 36. God's word says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. For even sinners, sorry. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Amen. Be seated. So, lots of commands, and uh, oftentimes as I walk through a passage in a sermon, I'll walk through the passage, make sure we understand it, then apply it. Today, I'm just going to be weaving together, uh, understanding the passage and applying it as we just hear these commands uh, and hear them applied to us. Jesus begins this list of commands in this sermon with this phrase, but I say to you who hear, which might be another way of Jesus just saying, listen up. If I haven't already lost you with what I said about the blessings and the woes, if you're ready to hear, listen up. And I might say to you as we hear Jesus' words here, like uh, again, these are going to be hard words and so you might hear me say, Listen up and maybe even buckle up, buttercup, right? This, this is going to be tough. Listen, to, do, to those of you who are ready to hear this, here's what Jesus has to say. Jesus' command begins with the command to love. Love is the first command, right? And love in our day, we usually use the word love to describe a feeling that comes over us about Another person might be like a romantic attraction to another person, right? Or we use love even pretty flippantly to refer to things like tacos or pizza, right? I love this, I love that. But it usually is about a feeling, is the way we often talk about the word love here. In the context here, a couple of things. One is, I think love is the overarching command that kind of drives all of the other commands in this passage. I think all of the other commands we see in this passage would fit under this umbrella command. It's on purpose that Jesus shares it first, and he says, love. If I had to define love here, I would say that love is more than what we usually refer to it as. In the words of Boston, it's more than a feeling. Or in the words of DC Talk, love is a verb, and they spell love, L-U-V, because they used to rap right? So love, love is a verb. It's something that we're doing. In context here, it's doing something for the good of others at a cost to myself. Love is doing something for the good of others at a cost to myself. We naturally 
feel love and want to act out in love when we receive love from somebody else. The person on this earth that I am loved by more than any other person is my wife. And Kirsten has, I think, feelings of love for me. I know she does because she expresses that by action, right? All sorts of things that Kirsten says and does at a cost to herself because she loves me. And so I'm naturally drawn to her because she loves me. I want to love her. I want to give of myself for her good as well. That seems more natural. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, love your enemies. That's not natural, right? Love your enemies. People who are against you, those are the people you are called to love. And he just goes on. Look at the next one. Do good. Well, some of us think, like, yeah, oh, I'd do good. Most of us, even like this week, did a number of good things. But here's the command from Jesus, do good to those who hate you. You know somebody, likely, that is against you, maybe against you because you're a Christian. What do we do with them? Do we avoid them? You had a falling out with someone, and you know from their silence or from their glare that they don't, they don't like you. They're not big fans of you. What do we do with that? Well, here Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. Like, not, not avoid and keep your distance, but, but find a way to do good to those who hate you. Verse 28, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Let's talk about this for a second. Bless. Bless is, is basically asking God to favor someone. When you want somebody to be blessed, you're asking God to favor them. Again, natural for us to say, the people that I love. God, would you bless my son? Would you bless my daughter? Would you bless those in my church family? We want good things to come uh, to those that we love. But here, Jesus is saying, bless those who curse you. Not those who say nice things about you, but those people at work who you know have said bad things about you behind your back. Bless those people. Ask God to favor those people. Kids, you're back at school this week, and for some of you that are back at school, you got this like jolting reminder that maybe you had a little break from over the summer, but now you're back at school, and have you noticed that some kids are just really mean to other kids? Like you've noticed that. Right? And what we want to do is like we either want to avoid that or just be mean back. But Jesus is saying, bless those who curse you. And then he uses this phrase, pray for those who abuse you. So the way we, let, 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 me, let me just kind of give a, I think a disclaimer here that I think fits with what we see in the rest of Scripture. If you are being abused, by someone who has been given by God the responsibility to love and care for and protect you. Then you need to remove yourself from that situation and get the help of somebody else. If that person is your spouse, if that person is your parent, you need to get help from somebody because people who are called by God to love you should not abuse you. I think the people that Jesus is talking to here, even in Matthew, it's those who persecute you. 
It's particularly what's starting to rise already at this time, and it's just going to intensify, is Jesus is referring to those who are abused or persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And they're being singled out and they're being physically harmed because of their faith in Jesus. And in those first days of these disciples living out the early years of the church, many of them would suffer that kind of fate. Followers of Jesus who were abused or persecuted because of their faith in Jesus, and they responded not with retaliation, but with prayer for the persecutor. And God has used many for this kind of purpose throughout church history. Many of you probably know the story of Jim Elliott, uh, along with some others, who had a burden from God to reach an unreached people group, a tribe living in the Amazon jungle, the Waodani tribe. And so multiple attempts to do various things over time before finally landing a plane and seeking to bless and encourage these people who were known for their violence. And Jim Elliott and those who went with him were brutally murdered. You maybe remember his wife, who for a time then was also disconnected from those people but continued to pray for them. And Elizabeth Elliot, who prayed for those who had brutally murdered her husband, eventually went to live among those people and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they also got to see on display in the way that somebody who was victimized by them now came to, to love them. Right? Praying for those who persecuted them. Then Jesus, in verses 29 and 30, is going to give us four illustrations in a row of what this self-giving, self-sacrificing love looks like for the good of others. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, he says, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. So, like, what if you love someone and they turn around and slap you in the face? And I read a little more about this. This does refer to a physical slap, but also kind of like we use the terminology today, like, oh, that was a slap in the face, not necessarily meaning always a physical slap in the face, but some kind of insult. They also use that word sometimes in that same way there. So either one, a physical slap or an insult, we are usually quick to retaliate. Somebody says, like, a little zinger, And it kind of jabs us. Some of us who are quick with words, we'd like to kind of jab right back, get a zinger right back at them. Some of you have a propensity towards this physically. Jesus says, no. If you're my followers, this is not how we do it. We take it and we take it again. Verse 29 continues. The second part of verse 29. I've got to find it in my Bible. There it is. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Someone steals something from you. Our natural response is, well, I'm going to get that back. I'm going to fight for it because it's mine. And again, Jesus here says to do something that seems really unnatural. Oh, you stole my coat? You must need something. You want my shirt too? Right? Just continuing with it. Verse 30. He continues, give to everyone who begs from you. Give to everyone who begs. Again, naturally, we, we, we think like, I've earned these things that are mine. I'm going to hold on and somebody is begging for them. They're not theirs, they're mine. I don't want to give to them. But then he says, he says, give to everyone who begs from you. Let me just be honest as we think about applying these things. 
I struggle with this one, not necessarily because I love my stuff a lot, but because I know that sometimes giving something to somebody who's begging might actually do them more harm than good. So like I wrestle with a command like this. I mean, I've been taken before by people. I've fallen for a good story uh, that is just made up in order to get something, and I've given something to someone only to find out later it was all a lie, and I don't like that. And I lean towards caution, and I often explain it by saying I just want to be a wise steward of what God has given, and I want to actually help that person. But here, I think we're hearing from Jesus, listen, the general principle is we should tend toward generosity, not stinginess. Give to everyone who begs from you. He continues in verse 30 with this. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Sure, if someone's taken from something that like belongs to you, we're especially, I think, as Americans, we're really concerned about our rights and protecting our rights. And Jesus seems to often push us to not take what is rightfully ours and give them up. That's, in fact, what Jesus says. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus did, Right? Not counting equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so rather than protecting and holding on to so tightly what is ours and losing it when it's taken away, we, we willingly give away, refusing to demand our rights. And in verse 31, verse 31, Jesus says, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. As you wish that others would do so do to you, do so to them. We're we're pretty quick uh, to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Right? So so we want others to treat us with understanding, but we're not very good at always treating other people with understanding. We want other people to like take into account that we've had a hard day or whatever it might be, and so we want them to treat us a certain way, while we often fail to turn around and treat others in the same way. Just to tell you a story about this week. I, I don't, I, it's easier for me to tell you stories of when I failed than when I, when I succeeded, because I feel like I fail more frequently than I succeed. So this week, uh, there, it was a hard week. It was a heavy week for me in a number of different ways. Uh, hard stuff on Monday, followed up by... Uh, getting a text message from Bob on Tuesday that Georgia had passed away, going to be with their family on Tuesday afternoon, and then, and then trying to figure out this week how to write a message for that and a message for this and some other things that were happening in the course of all this. In the middle of all this, Tuesday morning, while I'm trying to do all this communicating, our cell phone service just stops. We don't get service on our phones. And that was frustrating to me. And I was tired out already and needing to spend some time, but I needed to communicate with people. So I spent my lunch hour going through all of the protocols, first from like the bot from Verizon who told me what to do. None of that stuff worked. So then they let me talk to a person, and the person had me do all this stuff, and none of that stuff worked. And so then I'm going through the afternoon uh, trying to do, uh, keep in communication with different people, but my phone doesn't work, and none of the phones worked in any of our family. And so I'm having these conversations, and we get to evening time, and it's still not working. And so then I'm chatting eventually, you know, first with a bot, then with a real human being. And I would have loved that person to recognize, here's everything I've been through today, and you ought to treat me with love and patience and kindness and respect. And you know what? That Verizon representative did. But you know how I treated that person? Like a cranky, frustrated old man who wasn't getting his way that day. Right? 
we, we, we are quick to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We expect other people to treat us the way we want to be treated and think we might deserve to be treated, and it's a lot harder to turn around and treat other people that same way. So, we're, I think, have highlighted for us in everyday situations, all right, so Jesus is commanding us to do things that are really, really hard to do. I mean, it's hard to love people who love us, right? Now listen to this next section that Jesus has in verses 32 through 34. He's calling us to uh, not just a normal kind of love, but an extraordinary kind of love. Look at verses 32 to 34. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. It's like we, we're tempted to pat ourselves on the back. Like, look at me. Like, compared to a lot of other people that are not very loving, I'm a pretty loving guy. Like, if you came to my funeral someday, a lot of people that were there would be able to say, yeah, he was really good at loving them. Loving me. But Jesus is saying, well, yeah. Even sinners do that. Right? All sorts of people love people that love them. And then he goes on to the next one. Again, for those tempted to pat themselves on the back, Jesus says, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Man, I just, I want him to just say, hey, you're doing a really good job with your loving and doing good to other people. And instead what we get is, oh, you're doing that? Yeah, even sinners are doing that. And then we get verse 34. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And we know that as well. Like, you need, you need something. Well, even sinners would, even people who are not redeemed, people who have not become saints, people who have not trusted in Jesus and become one of His own, they're doing the same thing. If, if you think that people are going to pay you back, I mean, every sinner and loan officer will do this. If they're confident that you're going to pay them back, they'll give you something. Right? And so for those of us tempted to pat ourselves on the back, I'm pretty good at loving people. I'm pretty generous. I do lots of good things. Jesus is saying, well, yeah, even sinners do those things. And so then he's going to reiterate there in verse 35, here's what I'm calling you to. But, verse 35 begins, love your enemies. Not a lot of people doing that. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, those who follow me, this is what you're called to. Not just loving those who love you. Everybody's doing that. I'm calling you to love your enemies, those who are against you. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. These are the kinds of things that not everybody is doing, but these are the kinds of things that Jesus is commanding His disciples to do. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in this world. Loving those who are against you, and who take advantage of you. But why? How? Jesus commands us to do things that seem so unnatural, so radically different from what we naturally want to do, so, nat so, so different from what the rest of the world does, that we look at this and we say, well, why, why and how? Those are good questions to ask. Lots of what there, lots of here's the commands, and if you come to the end and feel like, wow, I've got a lot of growing up to do. Join the club. We do. 
But how do we get motivated? What's our, what's our motivation? What happens if we did this? What would the world look like if we did this? What would the world around us look like if we obeyed these commands? I think that's what we see here in the last verse and a half. First, we see something about reward. See that in the middle of verse 35. It says, again, but love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and then here, and your reward will be great. Rewards are good motivators, aren't they? Can I talk to kids for a second again? How many of you kids have really, really not wanted to eat something that's on your plate, that your parents are serving you, and it's like some kind of vegetable or meat or something, you're just like, I really don't like that. But then your mom or dad says, if you eat that, you can have dessert later. And then you're kind of like, oh, well, I guess I could do it right? Like, I didn't really want to, but maybe, maybe I will because cookies are good, right? Rewards are motivators. Here, Jesus says, and your reward will be great. Now, is he talking about heavenly reward or earthly reward? He doesn't really say here, right? I think it could be both. There is a way in which as we give of ourselves for the good of other people, there is a reward that comes with that in the here and now. Like there is something about I'm sacrificing myself for the good of somebody else. I'm not getting anything out of it. And there's a joy that comes with that, isn't there? So there is a reward often in the here and now. I think also an eternal reward is what he's pointing ahead to. So rewards might be part of the why, but what about the how? Again, these are really, really hard commands. How are we supposed to do this? Is there anyone to show us what this looks like? Let's look at the rest of verse 35. It says, And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Listen, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. A life lived obeying these commands is a life that reflects to the world around us the character of our God. Many of you at times in your life have maybe been told you're just like your dad. Sometimes that's a compliment and sometimes it's not, right? I'm grateful that I've been told a number of times, you're just like your dad and now Isaiah's getting to hear that sometimes too. But if you are being a reflection of the Most High God, that is a compliment, If you are living life, and in living your life, you are reflecting and showing yourself to be a son of the Most High, that is a compliment, right? We learn learn something ourselves and show it to other people, something about the character of our God, who is, it says here, kind to the ungrateful and the evil, right? Praise God that our God does not just love those who deserve His love. But we worship a God who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so the command to us is then to love or to be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We have a Father in heaven who is merciful. That is, He does not give us what we deserve. He gives us far better. And so we then are called to be merciful and to love in that way to reflect our Father by loving those who don't deserve it. One of the key ways 
that people in the world will come to know Him is when we reflect Him by loving those who don't deserve it, by being merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. I'm looking forward to testimonies and baptisms here in just a little moment. I'm not going to tell Lindsay's story for her, but I want you to listen as she tells her story because she showed me what she's going to say, right? As God gives her courage and just a little bit to come up and share it. I want you to listen to the order of events there of somebody who spent a lot of life feeling really excluded and then felt very included in a church family like this. Uh, And then after that, having a heart softened to hear the gospel, right? Us just loving people, that's not going to cause somebody to move from death to life. But it can reflect for somebody the character of our God that can soften a heart that the gospel might be heard and believed. And so we feel the the, the burden of these commands because they are weighty and because they feel impossible. But I think we also are encouraged because we are people who have been loved in this way. And because we're people who have received this, we then are people who know how to give this to others. We love like this because we are recipients of love like this. Say it again. We love like this because we are recipients of love like this. We are the ungrateful and the evil and the Most High has shown kindness to us. We are those who deserved punishment and the Father has been merciful to us. At the funeral on Friday, I looked at a few different passages with the people gathered there, but one of them was Romans chapter 5 and I just want to read these three verses. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Listen to this good news. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Love is an action done for the good of others at an expense to themselves. This is what Jesus is doing. He is dying. That's His act of love. For who? For those who don't deserve it, but for those who desperately need it. For the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Again, that's what would be natural. Some of us might be able and willing to give up our lives for the good of somebody that we love. But what about somebody that's an enemy? And here's the good news in verse 8. But God shows His love for us in... You want to see the greatest demonstration of God's love. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were dead in our sin, deserving eternal punishment, and instead God showed His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got kind of cleaned up to a point that we became acceptable to Him. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, then, love those who don't deserve it because we are those who didn't deserve it but yet have been loved. Let's pray. Father, you are merciful 
and most high God, you are kind. Though we are so often ungrateful, evil, and merciless, you have shown us your mercy and your kindness. You have given us your Son. You've loved us even though we don't deserve it, and we need your help if we're going to other, love others in that same way. So help us. Help us to do it, not only for their good in the here and now, but even for their eternal good. We want others to see you. We want to be people who proclaim the gospel in words, but also people who are a display of what the gospel does in the way that we live. So continue to work in us now, even as we hear testimonies and celebrate what you've done for us in Christ by witnessing baptisms. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to do baptism. Uh, so this, this is...